you will, make your way to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to consider together today chapter 8 and verses 22 to 25 in a message entitled, Finding Calm in the Storm. We've all lived through and continue to experience an unprecedented storm over the past few months. Uh, The COVID-19 situation has stoked fears and affected the health of many. It's brought economic chaos and pretty much disrupted life as we know it, including everything from regular gatherings to major life events to travel and mobility as we have been accustomed to. And we know that storms are a part of life. Some are like an afternoon rain shower that comes and passes quickly. Others are like a Category 5 hurricane that stalls out just off of the coast and sits there for days on end, affecting things even months after. Storms are not pleasant, whether they be figurative ones or literal ones. But in the midst of the storms of life, there are lessons that we can learn about God and about ourselves that we'd not otherwise have the opportunity to learn. The passage before us today communicates the miracle of Jesus calming the storm at sea. It is the first in a series of miracles that builds up to the confession of Peter. And the miracles teach us much about Jesus and where we should place our faith. Miracles are concentrated, interestingly, in the Bible in three major epics. That's not to say that there aren't miracles throughout the scripture or that God in some way has changed today because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same miracle-performing God. Some of us have been beneficiaries of the power of God working in miraculous ways. But when you look at the narrative of scripture, you'll find that during the days of Moses and Joshua, it was a time of miracles. The days of Elijah and Elisha were particular miracles. And then in the time of Jesus and his apostles, they were in abundance. The miracles served to authenticate both the messenger of God as well as the message of God. The people who were communicating on behalf of God as well as what was being communicated from God. Acts chapter 2 and verse 22 says, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 12 says, Truly the signs of of the apostles were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. And then Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. The stilling of the storm is the first of three miracles that are recorded back to back in Luke chapter 8. It's followed by the healing of the demoniac as well as the raising of 
Jairus' daughter, which was interrupted by the woman with the issue of blood, all point to the power of Jesus, and they point us specifically to the identity of Jesus as the Messiah. And they're intended for one purpose, so that we would place our faith in Jesus and that it would build our faith upon Jesus. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 22, this is what the Bible says. Now it happened on a certain day that he, Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples. And he said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased. And there was calm. But he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, Who can this be? For he commands even the winds and water, and they obey him. Luke is concerned here with showing us the power of Jesus and how he revealed himself to his disciples. You can find parallel accounts of this story and this miracle in Matthew chapter 8 and also in Mark chapter 4. And what I want us to focus on in these few moments that we have together is how you can find calm in the midst of the storm. First, you need to understand that Jesus is Lord over the storm. Jesus is Lord over the storm. Now, it had been undoubtedly a busy day for Jesus. The crowds would press in on him. They had seen his power. They heard his teaching. There were some who had believed. Others were still thinking about it. And Jesus was constantly being pressed in on by the people, and that day was no different. Here he was, fully God and fully man, but in his humanity, he was exhausted. He, he needed to get away from the crowd. He needed to go to the other side of the lake. So he goes to the shore and he tells his disciples, hey, let's cross over to, to the other side of the lake. Now, it's probably a beautiful scene when they began. Uh, the seas were calm. They put their sails up. Their sails were possibly lit by the rising of the stars in the evening. And then it would not be long that they would find themselves in the midst of a terrible storm. The body of water that they were on was the Sea of Galilee, also referred to in the Scripture as the Sea of uh, Kinnereth or the Lake of Gennesaret, or the Sea of Tiberias, or sometimes just simply referred to as the lake. It's a fairly small body of water that's located in the northern hills of Israel, some 12 miles long and only about 7 miles wide at its widest point, and some 165 feet deep. The Sea of Galilee is located in the Jordan Rift Valley, 696 feet below sea level, surrounded by hills on the eastern side that rise up to some 2,000 feet in elevation. 
And Jesus in this moment is taking the initiative to cross over to the other side. He knew full well what he was getting them into. The disciples were in part commercial fishermen who knew the lake well, but the storm that they were about to encounter was unexpected to them. We often find ourselves in similar circumstances. We're not expecting the storm. So when we face the storm, we have to constantly remind ourselves that Jesus is Lord over the storm. You see, the sea's location made it particularly prone, even today, to sudden and violent storms when that wind would come over the eastern mountains and you would have a mixing between the cold air and the warm air. And we see the same even today when violent weather comes together. You have warm and cold air that happens and that brings a lot of turbulence and can stir up some pretty significant storms. And it's no different there on the Sea of Galilee. One modern-day resident of the Sea of Galilee uh, described a particular storm that they witnessed. He said that uh, there were a number of visitors who had gathered along the shore uh, near Tiberias. And they were talking amongst themselves, and they were noting the calmness of the sea and the glassy surface of the water and the smallness of the lake. And they're kind of arguing among themselves as to whether or not it would actually have been possible for a storm to blow up like is described in the Gospels. And he said almost immediately as they're talking, uh, a storm began to rise and the wind began to increase. And he said in 20 minutes, the sea was white with foam-crested waves, and billows began to break over the towers that were near the city walls, and the visitors had to seek shelter because the sea was blowing so much spray on them, and he was reminded in that moment just how quickly a storm can truly rise on the Sea of Galilee. So a squall evidently came across the lake, the boat began to be swamped, and they were in danger. Now, no doubt, these men did all that they could to secure the ship on their own. And the storm that Jesus faced with them was unexpected to them, but not to him. Now, I think it's important for us to note the figurative use of the idea of a storm in the Bible, because it's a, an idea that comes up on several occasions. In Isaiah chapter 57, in verse 20, it says, But the wicked are like the troubled sea. When it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. Or Daniel chapter 7 and verse 2 where Daniel says, And I spoke and I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven strove upon the great sea. So when we find this figurative use of the storm in the scripture, it is comparing things in life to the troubled world that we live in. The stormy sea is a picture of the trouble in life that we all encounter. And what's important in the midst of this story is that it was divine guidance that was operative. In other words, Jesus led them into the storm that he knew full well was coming. God who brought the waters into being in creation. God who parted the Red Sea before Moses and the Israelites. This was who was in the boat with them. Jesus, Lord, over the storms of life. Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, the one who is upholding all things, the very universe by the word of his power. 
we can say sincerely that he has the whole world in his hands. And not only does he have the whole world in his hands, but he has us in his hands as well. So our confidence in Jesus being over the storms of life and being Lord over them is not based only what happens in the moment when we receive deliverance, not what happens in the moment when we get the answer to our trouble, but it's in the fact that he is Lord over all. One commentator put it this way. He said, Jesus is victorious over death, sickness, sin, and the forces of nature simply because in his very being he is God among us. It is not more difficult for him to control the wind and the sea than to prevail over sin and death. No matter how stormy a circumstance is in our lives, we can always know that Jesus is Lord over it. Then to find calm in the storm, we need to recognize that Jesus is with us in the storm. He is with us in the storm. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And the scripture says, and a windstorm came down on the lake. It's described in some translations as a fierce windstorm. They were filling with water, so their boat was being swamped, overcome with water, and they were in jeopardy. They were in danger. The disciples were scared. Jesus was sleeping. And I think that's the way it is sometimes in our lives. He's with us, but we forget that he is. How could he sleep in his humanity? Did he not care about their plight? So they go to Jesus and they wake him up and they said, Master, Master, we are perishing. We are going to die in this moment. And awoken, Jesus stands. He rebukes the wind and the raging of the water, and instantly the wind stopped. And not only did the wind stop, but the sea was calm. There was calm in the midst of the storm. I think about the Old Testament example in Daniel chapter 3 of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They obeyed God. They found themselves in a storm of a different kind because of their obedience to God. You remember King Nebuchadnezzar had set up a golden image of himself in the plain of Dura and commanded that the officials bow down before it, that everybody honor him, and anybody that failed to do so would be thrown into a blazing furnace. Certain officials informed the king that there were these three Jewish youths who were refusing to worship the golden statue, and they were thrown into Nebuchadnezzar's fiery furnace that was heated, according to the scripture, seven times hotter than normal. They should have vaporized in that moment. As he looks into the flames, Nebuchadnezzar's amazed and he says to his officials, was it not three men we cast bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered, certainly, O king. And he said, look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of God. Daniel chapter 3, verse 24, 23 and 24. Now here's what I believe that represents. I think it quite possibly represents a Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of 
Jesus. It was certainly the presence of God in their midst. That in the moment, in the hottest part of the fire, in the worst part of their storm as it was, God did not leave them alone in their trial. He did not leave them alone in their storm. He did not leave them alone in their crisis. He went and stood with them in the very middle of it and was with them through it all. How many times along the way in our crisis of life, our moment of distress, in our deepest valley of pain, in the darkest part of the night, it seems like we're alone. The enemy would have us to believe that we're alone. He would have us to believe that God has forgotten us, that Jesus is not with us. There's no answer ultimately to our problem. And all along, Jesus is there in the storm. You see, even before the disciples called on him in the boat, he was there. He was with them. He had not left them. There was not one promise that God had made that he would not keep. And today, there is not one promise that our Lord has made that he will not keep. And he promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. Or what about the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8 and verse 38 and 39? But I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, this is our hope. And Paul is giving us there under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit the extreme idea of what could possibly happen that could separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord? And the answer is absolutely nothing. Jesus is always with us. And then if you want to find calm in the storm, you need to know that Jesus is to be trusted in the storm. He's to be trusted. Now, he asked a question. Jesus often asks questions. The question he asks here of his disciples is, where's your faith? Did you know that a storm will reveal whether or not we're trusting in the Lord? A storm will show what, we're, what we really believe. I mean, hey, if it ever would have seemed like a good time to panic, it would have been in the midst of a bad storm when the boat is taking on water and you're in peril of sinking. But did you know that anybody can put on a face of faith when the water is smooth? Anybody can look like a good Christian and say the right things and act like they're living in the right way when times are easy. But I'm going to tell you, when you suffer a great loss or you face a significant difficulty, or you encounter a major life disruption and you don't know what to do with it, but you know that Jesus can be trusted, that's when faith truly begins to be implemented. And some of you, if you had an opportunity right now to stand and to bear testimony, to give a witness to what God has done in your life, you could say that in the experience of your own life, you know this to be true that things didn't break your way, 
that you didn't get the answer that you were looking for. That maybe it was the worst of all possible circumstances. And yet God could still be trusted. Jesus was still there with you. You see, what a storm will do is it will reveal if your focus is in the wrong place. The Lord of all glory was in this boat with them, and yet they thought that they were going to die. They did not fully yet realize who he was. And here was Jesus looking for faith, and yet he found none. He didn't criticize their sailing ability. He didn't criticize the fact that they were in the circumstance they were in. All he wanted them to do was to trust him. And it's by faith that we are saved from our sins. It is by faith that we live through the ordinary things of life. In fact, the Bible says that whatever is not of faith is sin. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Or to state it another way, if, if we fail to have faith and to exercise that faith, we are dishonoring God because we're not trusting him. And here is Jesus, who is the Son of God, the one who is active in all of creation, the one who sustains the universe with his word. And it's in these storms that our faith is tested and it's proven. And we want our faith to stand strong, because apart from the storm, the disciples could have looked like they had it together. If they'd gotten to the other side of the water without the storm, then their lack of faith might not have been revealed and we can take it even a step further the one that none of us particularly like and that is that we can even be thankful for the storms because we do learn something about God and about ourselves and they prepare us to help others and also to help ourselves as we move forward James wrote in James chapter 1 and Verse 2 and following, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. But let perseverance have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So I say to you today, faith is the opposite of fear. How do I know that? Well, Jesus pointed to their fear as evidence of their lack of faith. Fear and faith are mutually exclusive. Fear will cause us to make too much of our problems and too little of God's power. Fear will cause us to magnify the problem that's in front of us and to minimize the power of God to deliver. Now, church, I think this is a perfect point of application in the particular hour that we find ourselves in. There's much that we could be afraid about. Much that we see in the media is driven by fear. We need good information. We need good wisdom. We need to make prudent decisions. We need to be careful and do things that are wise as human beings. But as Christians, we can't live in fear. We can't allow the fear to overcome us so that we lose sight of God. And this is just a particular example. There are many examples like this in life that we face. But don't get caught up in fear to the point that it's the opposite of faith in your life. Because what faith does is it faces danger head on. Faith does not minimize danger. It doesn't ignore the reality of 
what we could face, but it faces danger instead with a calm confidence because it believes that God can be trusted and God alone is able. Psalm 89 says, O Lord God Almighty, who is like you? You are mighty, O Lord, and your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the surging sea, and when its waves mount up, you still them. Psalm 89, verse 8 and 9. God is the creator and the controller of all that there is, and he is good. His purposes will always stand. Let me give you another word of encouragement here. Even when you fail or fall in your faith, God remains faithful. Even when we are faithless, God remains faithful. And that's a great blessing. It's not as though we come into the Christian life by grace through faith and then God says, hey, do the best you can. That's, that's not gospel. That's not grace. We come into the Christian faith by the grace of God, and then that's how we live it as well. And God is so patient with us and loving toward us. And he brings us along as a good parent would bring their children along, loving us more than we could ever understand that we're loved along the way. When Jesus said what he said, Scripture says that they were awestruck. They were filled with amazement. And they asked one another this question. I'm going to ask it of you and then I'm going to close. Who can this be? Who is this? That, that's the question that rings out from the New Testament really across the whole record of Scripture is, who is this Messiah? It's a recurring theme and it's a question that each of us must answer in the depths of our own hearts when we're faced with our need for a Savior. Who can this be? And the answer makes the eternal difference in each one of our lives. You see, we all need salvation. I love rescue stories and dramatic uh, rescues from difficult situations. And every time I see one, I read them. I read one last week. Uh, there were some storms that had built up in the South Plains of Texas in an area called Brownfield. There's a woman by the name of Ebenia Elmore uh, who was sheltering in place when her house started to be ripped apart by high winds. She didn't have anywhere to go. She didn't know what to do, so she calls 911. Well, uh, a policeman came. And in his SUV cruiser, he pulls right up to the house as it's literally coming apart. He gets out of the cruiser, and he goes directly into that house looking for that lady. A few seconds pass as the, the, another dash cam is, is uh, capturing all of this. A few seconds pass. He comes out of the house with this woman literally on his shoulder carrying her as quickly as he can away from the structure. And in an instant, the roof of that house blows off and comes directly toward where the policeman and the lady were running, and they escaped it narrowly. And the woman said after it was all over with, that was terrifying. And at the time, you don't really think about it. You're just in survival mode. A great story of 
a momentary rescue and a heroic deed. But I want to tell you today that our salvation was bought and paid for because the Lord Jesus Christ was willing to endure the greatest storm of all so that we could be saved. He willingly went to the cross and he endured the storm of the judgment of God. The wrath of God laid upon him. The one who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And he was willing to endure the pain of the cross and the suffering of it all. And because of his death on the cross and through the power of his resurrection, when we are covered by the blood of Jesus and filled with the power of God's spirit, we can know that we're on our way to be with God in eternity. And no matter what the storm is in this moment, God is faithful and he'll see us through. Here were these disciples that had been with Jesus day and night for, for a long time at this point. They'd seen his character and heard his words. He could calm a storm. He could still a sea just with his word, and he still can. Let's bow our heads together for just a moment as we pray. I'm going to pray, and Pastor Eric's going to come and lead us in um, closing song with a couple of verses and then after he does that uh, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet after he sings and for a participatory element of the service today we're going to close with the Lord's Prayer it's going to be on the screen um, so we can follow along together and uh, then uh, remain standing and I'll dismiss you but should you have a need today you need somebody to pray for you or you have a step of faith you're ready to turn from your sins and turn to Jesus and be saved. I'd love to talk with you, pray for you, encourage you any way that I can. Uh, And I'd ask you to come as we conclude. Father, thank you for your word. It's been a good day to be here together. We pray, Lord, that as we continue to navigate the time that we're living in, that you would give us wisdom, that your hand of protection would be upon us and that uh, we would continue to follow after you, that our faith would be genuine faith, that it wouldn't be counterfeit, that it would be real, because we know you can be trusted, you're with us, and you're able to meet us at our point of need. Bless us, Lord, as we follow you, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.